and welcome back to the UEA Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, my name's Rich and I'm one of the wellbeing trainers here at UEA and there's no Rachel this time so it's just me flying solo but I am joined by Jock today. Jock, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself first of all? Yeah, so uh, I'm one of the assistant heads of wellbeing um, and I've got responsibility for early intervention and access. So essentially, my my role looks at how people come and use our service, what their experience is when they first come to the service, filling in the forms, what that feels like for them. Um, and it's a role I've been in, well, my role has changed, so it's, I guess, been doing it a couple of months now. So just trying to get my head around what we need to do to get even better at what we do. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, so today, me and Jock are here to talk all about men's mental health, which is going to be our focus throughout this month. Um, so before we kind of get started, Jock, first of all, we've got to talk about the little things, the little wins for the week. So what's been your uh, what's been your little win this week? <laughs> I'd, I've been struggling to think what it would be. I've spent uh, the last few weeks laid up battling with COVID um, and that's meant the way I've coped with that is just by sleeping lots uh, and not really doing anything. So actually, I've, the, the win for this week has been I've been able to play a little bit of guitar. Um, and anyone that knows me knows that that's kind of my my go to thing for looking after my well-being. And after two weeks of not being able to play it, playing a bit of guitar for a solid bit of time was lovely and a really nice experience to forget everything else. So, yeah, that's probably going to be my win for this week. Nice. Now I'm really pleased you're feeling better and it's good to have you back. That's a, that's a really Thanks. nice one though. So like I said, this month we're going to be exploring a little bit around uh, men's mental health, which is obviously something that we're both really passionate about. So yeah. um, I guess, first of all, before we kind of get into it, I want to I want to get kind of a little bit more, more feeling about kind of you and your role. I know you kind of explained sort of yeah um what you do but sort of how, what kind of brought you into the world of well-being and into this role oh wow that's <laughs> we have to go <laughs> quite back a few years um probably back to when i was in sixth form so i'm in my 40s now um and truthfully i was in love with a girl uh just after i started sixth form we found a peer education project um around safe sex that she wanted me to do and because I was completely in love and the idea of spending time with this girl talking about sex in any way was the most exciting thing I could think of at that point. <laughs> I, I just joined in, signed me up to everything that we could and so eventually we through the sixth form we got wrapped into doing handing out condoms at nightclubs and doing lots of different things like that and it was great fun and actually when I left sixth form I didn't go to university straight away um I spent I spent a while doing lots of different stuff with my life trying to figure out what I wanted to do um and where I've ended up with that was I ended up working for a group called the Norwich AIDS helpline um that doesn't exist anymore but was great um at the same time as working in bars and doing all, lots of different stuff and I really enjoyed my voluntary work and and through that I ended up working at a, a group called Empower um which was for men that had been raped or sexually abused in their life. Um, and it was it was the one of the greatest groups I've ever been involved in. There was there was six of us. Uh, we were in uh, a very small uh, like one roomed office 
we used to hang out the window smoking fags uh, and we would run a telephone line and it would only be open a couple of hours a week and what was really genuinely striking to me at that point about men's mental health was we got calls from all over the UK and we knew that there was only two groups really at that time like very early 2000s that were doing anything about this and men really wanted to reach out and we didn't advertise heavily it was like she's probably still early days of the internet when people were finding out stuff we set up an email support and we were getting emails from around the world and it was it was incredibly striking to me that this wasn't being discussed um and then fast forward a couple of years of doing that we got the opportunity to join forces with what was norwich rate crisis um which we did and over the years that's become the sue lambert trust um and i was really really lucky to have sue as a mentor throughout i guess my early career um and i never really thought about marrying up the voluntary work with my paid employment um as everyone that lives in norwich for a, a decent length of time i ended up working for aviva for a while and was doing that at the same time um but then eventually a job came up at the local college here, so the City College Norwich, and that was doing safeguarding work. And actually the roles that I've been doing kind of opened me up to that. Um, so that's what 14, 15 years ago now that I started doing that and cut my teeth and learnt, my, learnt everything about education and about mental health during that time. So that's a very long-winded answer, isn't it? To <laughs> how did you get into this in the first place? Um, by being in love with a girl that, you know, at 16, my heart was all a flutter for her. Um, and I've just been following that thread ever since. Um, my life often happens like stumble into things. So I think that's probably, that's probably the truth about how this happened. Yeah, no, that's quite a journey. And, you know, I'm always fascinated by kind of the, the routes people take. So, you know, that sounds like some really amazing kind of experience and different people that you've worked with kind of over the years so no thanks for sharing that that sounds really really good and i think you touched on it a little bit there about especially kind of you know maybe a, a little bit uh longer ago but i think it's probably still the case for a lot of men yeah. um you kind of touched on that difficulty around you know men talking about their mental health in any capacity um you know what's kind of what's your relationship been like with um mental health as you've kind of got older and how's that changed over time for you that's another big question isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take my time um it's it's been really fascinating like i think um i felt i, I do feel really passionate about men's mental health and i want to make a thing about it and i think that actually what i've seen since probably early 2000s when i started doing this work was slowly and bit by bit um we've got better at talking about it as a society i think on the whole regardless of gender we've got better at talking about it i think men have got slightly better at talking about it or at least we've got better at admitting that we should talk about it whether we're actually talking about it might be another thing um so we you know there's really good campaigns out there around men's mental health there's kind of yeah chat to your mates see how they're doing for me, that the next stage or where we need to take it to, and I, I know you guys are on board with this as well, is about going, well, how do we have those conversations? 
because they're still really difficult. It's great to say, talk to your mates, invite them out. But what happens if they're not OK? And how do you either instigate that conversation or let someone know that you're there for them? And I think as men, we probably fall into the trap quite often of going, I need a solution for you. Um, and sometimes when you're feeling that low, it's not a solution you're looking for, it's understanding. Um, and I think sometimes men don't really get that, which is why we shy away from those conversations. Um, what was really interesting is I've had periods, you know, in my life where I've struggled with my mental health. Uh, most recently, a couple of years ago, I went through quite a difficult patch um, and I didn't realise it. I was I was perfectly in denial of where we were and um, I just kept on getting worse and getting worse and just shutting people off continuously and and not really letting people know or doing the other thing that again we're probably quite good at is when I am around the people that might care and might make a difference is be all joyful and happy and make jokes so I could kind of throw them off the scent a little bit but I didn't realize I was doing it and when I started to figure out what was going on what took over was the shame and like I remember those moments of and I'll tell you what it was it was I did um I was doing a training session at UEA and I was talking about stress and there was a slide in there that we talk about all the things that you can experience if you're stressed and as I was reading out this slide I was going oh that applies to me and then the next one I was like yeah that applies oh and that and that and this dawning realization that I wasn't in a good place struck me in the middle of this training session, um, as they do. And then and then it was complete denial for another month beyond that. Um, and it eventually took it eventually took my boss to go. You're not okay. like you're really not OK, and I know that you're not um, for me to go. Oh, OK. If people can see it now, what do I do about it? Um, so again, probably another couple of weeks of denial that I needed to do anything about it, followed by me actually realising, having a long chat with my partner at home, taking some time out. Um, the, the funniest part of that was that this was just before COVID was hitting. So this is before we'd gone into lockdown. Um, and the last thing I, my boss Claire said to me was, take time off, what's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, and then several days later, literally the world shut down. <laughs> so, you know, things can happen when I take time off work. Um, so, so it's... Yeah. We're blaming um, you. Yeah, oh, completely, <laughs> in my head, it was completely my fault. Um, you know, this, this is what happened. And I guess what stopped me was that shame and that embarrassment of going, God, I spent 20 years plus talking about mental health with people, talking about the importance to talk about it and how difficult it was for me to talk about it. Where was do you think really that, striking. Sorry, where do you think that comes from for you? Like say that sense of shame and that feeling mm. like maybe you weren't able to talk about it despite that kind of, <laughs> like you say, that being your job and that being something that you've done for such a long period of time. Where, where do you think that that sort of came from for you? Oh, good question. Um, 
it was I think when I've gone through periods of ill health in my life before with my mental health or I've struggled with it I've seen it circumstantial so this happened or um x number of things happened this time it it was a bit about that but it wasn't completely there was an element of actually my mental health was just taking a knock and yeah I was feeling stressed at work but I think my mental health had dived before that point I think my mental health went downhill and then I started feeling stressed and then I couldn't say stuff um and I thought about it for a long time and I kind of came to the conclusion that um when I arrived at the UBA, I think I had a bit of imposter syndrome. So I started here, I guess, three years ago. And um, I don't I don't have a degree. Everything I do in terms of my work is because of the voluntary work that I've done and and kind of being being supported to um, vocational work through the college that I was at. So I've kind of built myself up that way. Um, arriving at university was a really nervous thing for me like this felt like the big school to go to it felt like it was that going to high school from primary school moment and the first day that I walked in I walked in and I could see doors with the word doctor on it and people's names um and I had this feeling of I don't belong here and that sat right in my gut for a really long time and I kept on coming back to I'm a fraud and people are going to figure it out and I'm running a team of mental health professionals yet I don't have their qualifications and I lost sight of why I was hired um, I wasn't hired to be a mental health professional I was hired to run a team like that because I know how to do that and I've got that experience to all the managers bit but I fell into this really hard cycle of feeling like an imposter and also the other thing was the college that I mentioned I was there for 12 years I guess I was having a hard time letting go so there was a pull back to where I used to work and there was this massive imposter syndrome um and now I look at it it's incredibly interesting because the amount of students that contact us and talk about how they're feeling and talk about imposter syndrome and talk about struggling to fit in and I've had this realization that in in a really weird roundabout way I really share that thing with some of the students that we work with which is it's really hard to settle in university for the first time because you're amongst really clever people and you might not feel like you belong here you might have pangs about missing home and I went through all of that and I added denial on top of that and then the shame of even thinking about looking at it kicked in and I, I, as I say I couldn't really talk about it so that reflection has been a really really interesting journey for me and one that makes me passionate about now being in charge of the access to the service and what that means for people. Now that's yeah, there's I mean there's a lot to unpack here, but that's you know, first of all, thanks for sharing that because I think it's so important to to just hear people speak openly about their experiences and about um the mental health and to show a little bit of vulnerability. And I think going back to what you were saying, both in terms of 
maybe how you were feeling, um, some of the emotions you experienced there. And, um, you know, especially that kind of those feelings of uh, imposter syndrome and not feeling that we're good enough. I think they're so common, aren't they? They're something that we all experience from time to time, particularly in those moments of change, which kind of draws back to what we were talking about a couple of months ago. Um, And I think it's such a common thing. And I think, again, obviously, that's not something that only affects men. But I think sure. you're right that particularly, I think we're, we're you know, gen- generalising with a very large brush here, but we are not great at, at just being willing to have those conversations. I 100% agree with you, because I, I guess we work in, you know, we look at our department and we're some of the very few men that work here. We've got probably more numbers than places I'm used to working in. Um but actually it tends to be a female dominated industry. And um, most of my male friends that I, that don't work in this industry don't really get how I can do this job. Um, and we'll occasionally talk about well-being, and they'll kind of shrug it off. Um, and to me, there's a little bit of, um, hypermasculinity in there about them trying to go well I'll be all right I, I can battle through it um or you know occasionally you'll meet someone that goes oh all these kids just say they're depressed um and it's it's really funny still to hear that it's really funny for me to be told that because I'm quite happy to challenge that uh, when it comes up and go really don't think it is that I think it's men possibly don't have that language and don't really know what it is to to kind of fix that because when we're alone as a group of men we tend not to enter those conversations um and again we're using quite big brushes here i i, I appreciate but um i would think that any any man that's listening to it knows when there's when there's a group of men about it's got the potential at least to fall into a situation where we definitely don't talk about that and i think my experience of being around um, a lot of women in my career, in my in my family life, I, you know, I've got two older sisters, is that there's at least a willingness to have that conversation. And when they go to meet a friend, they really do want to know how they're getting on. Whereas I've certainly been out with my friends before as a bunch of guys and I've come back and gone, yeah, I didn't actually ask any of them how they're doing. Uh, we've, we've just gone into other conversations straight yeah, away. Yeah, it's, it's so common, isn't it? And, you know, there's a lot of what you just said there really resonates with me. And obviously for me, being kind of quite new in the service and in the industry, I've definitely felt that shift and coming from um, coming from kind of workplaces and, uh, and, you know, other kind of spaces that have been very male-dominated, particularly like in sport. Yeah. Um, you know, I've definitely felt that difference in a workplace. Um and I think the other thing that, you know, I think I'm probably that generation where when I was a kid, I don't ever, ever remember it being spoken about. And suddenly, as I've got older, there's been this real kind of shift in the way that people talk about it. And with a lot of the kids that I've worked with over the last couple of years, and even when you have conversations with students now, I think the attitude towards mental health has just kind of shifted so much. It's, it's really, really inspiring, I think. But I do think it still takes you know, people like yourself role modeling that and being willing to have these conversations to to allow that to happen, um, which I guess kind of brings us on to 
my next question is what, what you know and again you've already touched on this a little bit but what do you think are some of the the big misconception around kind of men's mental health specifically as well oh that's a good question i could for a long time about <laughs> the misconceptions of what we think um here's a here's one that i think among my friendship group i get told or i've, I've certainly heard over the years is that people who go that's just the way i am like i just i just feel low and that having talking therapy or, or thinking about medication won't help me in any way um because that's a difficult conversation to have with someone is going if you talk about some of this on a more regular basis it can be really good and you can figure your way out of that and i think if we're just to kind of look at depression in particular um i i try and think of depression as that kind of voice in your head that really puts you down continuously and there's another part of that that is really really good and i think it applies to anyone's mental health but it really sinks in there for men is going there's no point in getting help there's no point in getting help because it won't make any difference and you're not going to talk to some stranger about your feelings anyway um so i think men often fall into oh, maybe i'm talking about my friendship group in particular you, you can tell me if it applies to yours as well we fall into this pattern of going i i just i can't get better so i'm not going to bother i'm just going to ignore it and accept that i, I have to live with this um i don't know is that your experience as well i think that? i think so i think especially when i was younger i i just don't ever remember having a conversation with, with anyone um whether it was some of my friends who are my age i had friends a lot of friends that were older than me some friends that were younger and people that i'd play football with that were a bit younger than me uh and i just i don't ever remember having those conversations and there's there's one conversation that really sticks out to me even now i remember having it um when i was in my final year at uni and i had a conversation yeah. with, with one of my friends um that i'd met at uni and it was the first time that i'd really kind of just sat down and had a, like it's one of those one of those four o'clock in the morning after a night out conversations that, yeah. and just suddenly it just between two or three of us just really kind of opened up and i was like oh all oh, right, I'm not the only person that feels like this, do you know what I mean? And I was like, you know, I was 20 and it's the first time I'd ever even had a conversation like that. And I was like, okay, that's that's probably something that needs to change, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting experience. And it, it, I totally relate to that late night conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is something about those early hours in the morning where, God, you something shifts in conversation patterns doesn't it and you can kind of maybe say something in the middle of the night that you're not able to say in the in the daylight um when you were saying that i was kind of thinking about another aspect um I, for lots of different reasons i've got to get taxis quite a few few places um a lot of the time and i get asked about my job it's kind of a standard conversation you have with uh, a taxi driver most taxi drivers still in norwich and the surrounding area are a male um and it is amazing how easy it is to frighten a taxi driver by saying <laughs> that you work in well-being and mental health. And 90% of them uh, shut down. 
end of conversation and, and <laughs> go well uh okay well do you like football though um, <laughs> like i've said something threatening it's it's really funny and then there's another percentage that either find it really fascinating or go oh brilliant well my neighbor <laughs> and they'll go into a conversation where essentially i'm being asked to diagnose someone or, or figure out a solution for it um but it's still striking of those conversations how many people just oh, i can't i can't cope with the thought that you might do that for a job and um i'll try and get you talking about football because that's the other option um which if you know me uh, isn't necessarily my strong point either so it's it can be real awkward uh, journey sometimes yeah yeah i think that's a really good point though isn't it and like i think there's still that that idea that it's this big scary thing to talk about and i think for me like you know having a discussion about not even necessarily mental health just talking about how you're feeling doesn't have to become a therapy session it can be it can be a really quite casual conversation and I think I've learned that you know a lot as I've got older definitely and I think the conversations that I have now with the people around me whether it's colleagues at work whether it's my mates or like I said kids I work with you know like it mm. seems like that it's just become easier and easier to have that but yeah you're definitely right you still do get some people that feel ambushed by it yes <laughs> and, and possibly they're not expecting that as as the thing that you drop in yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. shock something else to be said at that point i guess um and maybe what i'm talking about is a generational thing as well is like you know you come part of that generation where it's still difficult and I'm not taken away from that, but actually it's not the same as my generation of ones who probably just missed out on those bigger conversations. Like it was sort of a thing, but it wasn't really talked about. And I yeah. think I've definitely sat back and witnessed a change in the past 20 years. And one of the most striking things to me was, um, as I say at the beginning that I, one of the first groups I worked for was this group called Empire, who worked with men who had been abused in their life, uh, and how, how there was no other services really in the UK that did that sort of work by another couple, um, and I, and I just couldn't see that ever changing when I first started working there. Like I just couldn't see where men were going to go and get that. And then fast forwarding fifteen years, and I forget what news channel it was but one of those morning shows where there's you know they have people on a couch to come and discuss stuff and there was three or four footballers male footballers who were sitting there talking about the abuse that they'd undergone through a coach when they were young boys and it like it genuinely bowled me over I had to sit down and just reflect on in 10 years how far the UK had come in that in that way that I never thought we'd get to a point that men would openly talk about it. Never mind footballers of all people <laughs> sitting on a sitting on a breakfast show talking about what they went through. And knowing in my heart of hearts, if they're doing that, all those amazing services around the UK, and there is there is plenty now, and there's some really, really, really good stuff, how inundated they must be. Because I'd, I'd, I'd witnessed when there was a small bit of publicity around that, how suddenly it gave permission for men to go, I can talk about it. So I'm going to pick up the phone and do it now. Um, and, and just being bowled over about how helpful and how 
how much being a role model in that way is painful as it would be for those people, how much difference they made by just standing up and going, it happened to me. And I struggled with it. And I think they were crying as well at one point. It was all, I think they set me off. It was all very emotional to kind of watch all of that. Um, and really nice at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess to kind of build on that a little bit, and you've, you know, now you've kind of witnessed that change or the start of that change at least if you could kind of you know if you could go back in time or if you could give um, some advice or message to your younger self what would that be now do you think <laughs> I mean thinking about lots of advice that I probably should give myself <laughs> uh, I better remain professional Rich uh, <laughs> I Oh, probably not to be too hard on myself. I don't think I would listen. I don't (laughs) think I would listen. I know I wouldn't listen. I don't know why I'm even saying that. Um, We, a really good part of my job is I get supervision. Um, And my, so that's someone that kind of sits down with me that's external from the organisation that is there for me on a personal level, is there for me on a work level to discuss what I need to discuss. And sometimes that is about my life. And sometimes that's about my work life and sometimes it's about the cases I'm dealing with at work. Um, and she's always pointing out how much I over overthink things. Um, I really like uh, the period at night when everyone else in the house has gone to bed and when my kids are asleep, it's lovely, partner's asleep. There's something about those are a couple of hours that I have at that point that feels really nice, but I spend all that time overthinking. 100% and I'll dwell on stuff and just keep on going over it if I could give myself advice that I would listen to it would be to do less of that um, and just try and be in the moment so I'm probably alluding to mindfulness I think yeah, is worked out no, there. No yeah. nice. but again I bet that's you wouldn't have even heard of that word when you know when you were a kid do you know what I mean yeah but it's no, a nice very advice. popular word in, in the past few years I say few years probably 10 years isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no nice bit of advice there and I guess Again, kind of adding to that and kind of the last question I've got really around kind of speaking about mental health is, you know, is there anything along your journey, whether it's something you've read, something you've watched, something you've listened to? I know already you've kind of mentioned a few things, but is there anything that you ever found that was particularly impactful that again that you'd share with, you know, someone else or that you'd recommend to someone? Oh, um in a weird way, my mind jumped to that mentor, Sue Lambert, I guess, being being the first person. Um, being the first person that I that I ever heard that I worked with in a session. So we did, um, back when Empire was first starting, we would do the phone line and we'd have one person listening in and one person talking. Um, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what it was. Sue was incredible. Uh, holding a silence and recognizing the power in a silence um and I, like I owe her so much in a way and that what I realized with the what she could do is she would just attune herself to that person's breathing she would just listen to where they were and she wouldn't push for them to say anything ever um and she had this really wonderful knack of just hearing their breathing change ever so slightly and just saying in, in the calmest voice, I'm still here when you're ready 
to talk. And within a couple of seconds, you would just have people opening up. Um, so the one bit of advice, I guess, would be don't be frightened of silences. Like if, you, if, you, if you're with a friend and they're struggling to find the words to talk about what it is, it's okay to be in silence. Like you don't need to go make a cup of tea. You don't need to try and fill in the words for them. You don't need to do any of that. Sometimes just sitting with them and, and, and being really, being really honest by going, it's crap and I'm really sorry. And giving them the space again can be the most affirming thing we can do for someone else. And I think it really comes down to listening, whether it's just a breathing pattern you're listening to or whether it's what someone's saying how often we're in a conversation, but actually what we're thinking about, well, the next thing I'm going to say is this. We don't really listen to that other person. Um, there's there's so much to explore within listening. So what I'm trying to say, I guess, is it's okay to sit in silence. Yeah, no, amazing. I love that. I love that. That's a really lovely sentiment. Um, oh, Jock, thanks so much. That was such an amazing conversation. I think we, we could have kept going for hours, I think. Um, it's, I, I can happily go for hours, but yeah. Yeah, no, that, I think it would have been good. I'm not sure anyone would have listened to it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I could have, I could have carried that on for ages. Um, before, before we let you go, something we always like to finish on is well-being gone wrong. So, you know, we like to be proactive. We like to try and take... Uh, good care of ourselves and do some some good kind of self-care and look after well-being but of course sometimes things go wrong so is there anything that you've kind of tried and it's not quite worked out uh I've, do you know what i've probably tried so much over the years just because i go around telling people to try different things um and i'm i think i, I write stuff off quite quickly for myself i really like the idea of um journaling and, and and mood diaries and like quite like doodling so those those are always great um it's not the funniest thing in the world i've just got hundreds of books that are half written um i'd say half written not even not into that degree i'll buy really nice books there's one on the shelf next to me that's just really lovely and i can't bring myself to write in it because it's that nice <laughs> don't want to ruin it so essentially what I've done is I've, I've got a collection of books where either I've written in the first page and then never got back to it. Some really beautiful bound diaries and stuff like that. I never fill in because I don't want to taint it with my horrible writing and words. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Um, what have you learned from that, though? What, are you, what have you taken away from that, though? Start wasting your money and buying really nice looking books. <laughs> um, I maybe it's not as much as i would like to do that maybe it's not for me maybe there are better ways of doing it um i would i do you know what i'd love to be able to do is is write write songs with meaningful lyrics that'd be great um and then i can claim to be a songwriter as opposed to a guy that just plays guitar by himself um again that's not going to happen because i can never that least writing down somewhere doesn't it so go grab a book and, and start to write but it's too nice a book to write stuff in so um again this is going back to my overthinking stuff isn't it mate this is this is what's happening um you've opened up that part of my mind but it's good yeah. to talk that's what i've just been literally telling you so um nice well thanks so much for your time today jock that was uh, a really really great conversation and hopefully again 
it helps kind of start that conversation and some nice ideas for other people to take away as well. Um, but thank you everyone for listening. Thank you all for joining us. Like um, I said at the start, our focus throughout the month of November is all around a bit of a push on raising awareness of men's mental health and having some really important conversations. And hopefully that's not just, you know, happening between me and Jock. It's not just happening in our workshops. Hopefully those are conversations that you can kind of carry into your own friendships and with the people around you, whether that's your friends, your family, your flatmates, whoever it might be. A um, couple of things to watch out for this month um, on our YouTube channel. You can search that on YouTube as UEA Wellbeing. I'm going to be releasing some short bite-sized videos um, weekly around some more kind of information and themes around men's mental health. We've also got a men's mental health workshop being led by Ali and Nick on the 4th of November, which is really, really exciting. So if you want to find out more, you can check that out on the on our website, on our wellbeing workshops portal. And of course, on our socials, we're gonna be having a bit of a focus around International Men's Day on the 19th. And of course, around November, Jock, I'm, I'm assuming you're gonna be growing your tash out. Uh, I'll give it a go. Let's see, let's see what happens. Do you know why I used to be afraid of November because my beard didn't used to grow. I've now matured enough in the past couple of years where it does grow, but my dad has a moustache. It makes me think I'm turning into my dad. I don't know. Do you look like a moustache? Have you done it before? Uh, I just tend to look like I haven't washed for a couple of days, to be honest. Looks like it could be wiped off with a flannel, but I will give it my very best this year, I think. If you do it, I'll do it. There we go. And then, again, we can let other people know in the service that that's what we're doing. Yeah, You've got yeah, to find yeah. a buddy to do it with, haven't you? That's Absolutely. Thing. I'm in. I'm in. Cool. All right. We'll do that. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much, Doc. And thank you all for listening. Uh, next month, Rachel will be back and we are focusing all on burnout. Um, so hopefully you'll join us then. Thank you all so much. See you soon.